Hello guys and welcome again to Books with Chloe. Today I will be doing an amazing review of Motorcycles and Sweetgrass by Drew Hayden Taylor. Really amazing book. I found this passage I really like and want to share with you. So thank you for tuning in and I hope you like this podcast. Alright, just a little recap for you guys out there that either have the book and want to follow when I do the reading or are looking forward to buy it. Once more, it is Motorcycles and Sweet Grass by Drew Hayden Taylor, and today I will be reading my favorite passage, which will be uh, pages 266 to 268. Hope you guys enjoy. Alright, now let's jump into the reading. John found himself in a wooden glade. He didn't know where he was exactly, though it looked familiar. But then, most wooden glades do. He was barefoot, but dressed in his leather pants and a thin t-shirt. There were no paths or road into the glade. It was almost as if the woods had been constructed around him. Shit, I'm dreaming, he said. He had to be careful, for the world trembled when he dreamed. Language, John, language. The admonishment came from someone standing behind him. Turning, John saw a man in his early thirties with long hair dressed in a robe. John recognized him instantly. Am I dreaming you or are you dreaming me, he asked. The other man smiled. They stared at each other across the glade and then slowly sauntered to each other, stopping only a meter apart. Well, John, maybe we're both dreaming each other. Nice place. Nice little place you have here. Lots of trees. I thought you preferred deserts and places like that. I like to travel, and did you know I have a cousin named John? Good for you. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? I love the eyes. I just wanted to say hello. Hello back at you. I take it you heard me in the church. Yes, you sounded angry. Do you blame me? I don't blame anybody. You forget. I forgive. Well, good for you. Lillian seemed happy for all your forgiveness. I guess. I can't blame, I can't fault her for being happy. It worked for her, but I gotta say, you're shorter than I thought. Well, you're wider than I thought. Touche. Hey, I read that book about you, your biography. My biography? Yeah, that big black book everybody talks about. I think it's called the Bible. Yeah, needed an editor. No offense, but it went on forever and repeated itself. But man, you had a rough life. Just that last part, just the last part of it. And it got better. I had a happy ending. As for you, you're looking better. I heard some things about you, unpleasant things. Yeah, I mean, I have you and your friends to thank for that. You're lucky I don't hold a grudge either. I can forget, I can forgive too, but I've learned my lesson. I'm trying to stay on, 
I'm trying to stay fit these days. Unlike you, I'm going to do my best to avoid dying. For my people, the novelty wore off several generations ago. Your people are my people too. Tell that to the priests and ministers who who used to look after my people. Tell Sammy Undeg. Tell it to Sammy Undeg. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of that lately. We'll blame free will and all that. Well, they had a lot more free will than Sammy did. And yet, you forgive them for the horrible things they did. It'll always... I'll always have trouble figuring that one out. It's a, It's all part of the contract. Everybody deserves, everybody deserves a light at the end of the tunnel. An escape clause, huh? So why are you here? I heard you don't come down here to visit. Here, much often. Otter, Otter Lake, the site of the second coming? Not if you're Jewish. Well, my friends are both, well, my friends, we both love Lillian. I don't think we should be enemies, and many people seem to really want to love you, so I, sorry, but I'm not loved, like you. I'm not loved, I am beloved. There's a substantial difference. There is, and what just, and just what is that difference? When you're beloved, you get all the warm and fuzzies as you do when you're loved, but there's a lot less responsibility involved. I like that kind of difference. It's more bang for your buck. Now, let's dig in and really get to understand why I love this passage so much. Okay, so let's talk about the first things that really come out at the beginning of the passage and throughout the literature. So, the first thing I kind of notice and that the reader should notice is that John is dreaming before he even says it. Okay, because it's such a mystical area, he's in a glade, and throughout when we read through it, we realize he's met God and then he talks to God and they have sort of like a back and forth banter. And then they kind of end that section talking about semi undeg and residential schools. So those are the main things I like that stand out now. So when we're kind of thinking about first impressions and kind of the mood and the setting of this moment, I get a lot more of a mystical, mysterious vibe where I really like sort of the environment the author has put us in, right? We're, we're thinking, we're confused. Who is John meeting? What kind of dream is this going to be? Is it a nightmare? Is it going to be happy? So it's questionable and interesting. So those are the first few things that jump out as for mood and sort of a theme of the whole environment. Um... Now, as for the language that was used, I don't feel like they repeated a lot of what they said at all. I feel like it was very much a conversation. Um, lots of back and forth comments and banters and some ironic sort of jabs during the conversation with I really liked. Now, 
when we go through and kind of think about if there was any symbolism and imagery, I find there was a lot of imagery. The author did a really good job putting us into this sort of like movie clip, right? He gave us a really good understanding about how the forest was built around John and um, what both the characters were wearing in the conversation. They mentioned how the character that we now know is God was in his mid-30s, long hair, wearing a robe, and that immediately jumped into my mind, and I knew it was going to be God or some mystical sort of God creature. Um, And then they do the same thing for John, where he was barefoot, leather pants, um, thin white t-shirt, well, thin t-shirt, I just assume white, and uh, it just kind of puts you in the story even deeper by giving us hints about imagery and stuff. Um, another part that I found interesting, he did it somewhere else in the book where he said only standing one meter apart. So that I found he repeated twice in the book only. And that was good because it really gives you that distance, you know, during a conversation when you're one meter apart, it's not too close, not too far. It just works. And it was interesting that he put it into like numerical sort of fact. Um, now something that I kind of find kind of spiritual, religious, some kind of significance there is that they're both entities, right? From different culture beliefs, they're both sort of seen as a god-ish mystical creature. So Nanabush, John, which we find out throughout the book, um, is an Anishinaabe sort of story base character that goes through things and helps to explain to kids and stuff, just kind of a God sort of figure. So that I found really interesting. And then he's talking with God, right, from the Christian religion and then all those other uh, sections from that religion. But it was really interesting that they took two really powerful entities from two different places in the world and put them into a regular conversation. Um, By the end, when they started talking about... Um, like my people versus your people. Um, I was happy that they mentioned the Bible since it is very important that people remember what things the ministers and the priests and the sisters did to the indigenous people, the 60s scoop, the residential schools, and then everything that follows through like PTSD, intergenerational trauma, really tough things to work through and addiction. And uh, I found that was important to add into the end of that sort of passage because it's such like a contradicting, double standard, weird two-story thing that everybody has a hard time talking about. But I was happy to see that the author was able to kind of slide that in and make it sensible. Um, I don't feel there is a lot of anything else I feel I should talk about but things that I really did want to bring back is how important imagery was and how it played into this passage and how it really put the people reading or listening to the book into this sort of movie um and how it was so casual like it wasn't this big like roaring conversation where like like trees were shaking and everything like it was really just a basic two people conversation about life and regrets and 
sort of little jab and moments where there was a slight joke, but it was more like a burn. But I found that was really important. And then at the end, like I said before, when they tied into residential schools and where it really kind of tied back to the beginning of the book when he was mentioning like the true story of residential schools and just some of the basic things most people know. Um, that's about it for me in this passage. Overall, I just, I really like the important meaning and again, imagery of this section of the book because it just gives you a whole story. And it's really cool for me to be able to just submerge myself into the literature and really understand. All right, guys, thank you very much for tuning in on today's podcast. Once more, Motorcycles and Sweet Grass from Drew Hayden Taylor. Amazing book. Please read again or go out and get it. Borrow a copy from anybody. I don't know. Just got to read it. Um, seriously, one of my top five books so far. Highly recommend. Thank you very much for listening. Miigwech.